Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. Jesus is not about creating a holy huddle club. Instead, discipleship means you'll be on the front lines with Jesus as he fights the forces of sin and death. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. As you're turning there, I want to make this statement that being a disciple of Jesus means that you are on God's mission with God's people. Being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, means that you must be on God's mission with God's people. There is no partnership with Jesus without participation in what Jesus is doing in the world. And what Jesus is doing in the world is not creating a holy huddle club of people who just separate from the world, who are doing their own little Christian things. What Jesus is doing in the world is he is going out against the forces of evil, against the sin, against all the powers of this world, and he is at the front line fighting those things. You want to be where Jesus is? Get on the front lines. We're entering a new section in Matthew Verses chapter 9, verse 35 to the end of chapter 10. A new section on what we're going to look at, a section on mission. Specifically, we're going to see that Jesus is going to send his disciples out on mission. And before we dig into that, I want to just kind of give a bigger picture again of where we are in Matthew, what is going on in Matthew. And we saw in Matthew chapters 5 through 7... That this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching, literally, it's almost like from a lectern on top of a hill, probably on a rock, looking down at a group of people. And for three chapters, he lays out topic after topic after topic of what life in the kingdom looks like, how we should act, what our ethic should be if we're going to be followers of Jesus. Jesus, when he spoke this, began to be known as powerful in word. They looked at him and marveled at the things he was teaching and how he taught. Then we just came through Matthew chapters 8 and 9, where we saw the activity and the power of the kingdom, where Jesus demonstrates the kingdom at work. Jesus in Matthew chapter 8 and 9 is going around with his disciples, healing and exercising demons, and he's touching people, and he's telling people who live far away that they're healed. And so we saw that Jesus was very powerful indeed, that he spoke and taught about the kingdom, but where he went, he engaged the kingdom, he activated the kingdom. And so Jesus demonstrated his authority in word and deed. And now that he has shown us the way to receive the kingdom, to live in the kingdom, what the kingdom is going to look like when it comes into town, he is now inviting us to partner with him in his teaching and in his activity. Jesus is now going to send his disciples out on mission. This highlights for me these three chapters, three aspects of discipleship. These three aspects of discipleship that if we're going to be followers of Jesus, 
and I'm not trying to like be mean or pejorative and like just, it's okay, we'll all be friends at the end. But like traditionally, discipleship class was something that you did after you got baptized and you went back into Sunday school, into a room and went through a book and learned how to like read your Bible, pray, give, anyone remember these things? Maybe you were part of them, maybe you weren't. But discipleship was like a class. And it's not wrong that discipleship is a class. Should we sit down with people, even me, and go through those basics again? Absolutely. But discipleship is far more holistic than just gathering, ac- gathering acumen. You like that word? Gathering information. We're not just people who are trying to like only know Scripture. But at the same time, we have to come and see that the first aspect of discipleship is the rational. It is the head component. It is doctrine. Doctrine is important. We have like this whole spectrum of doctrine. Like everyone is like, if you don't believe in this pre-trib rapture, you aren't even a Christian. And then you have people over here like, who cares about doctrine? Let's just love people, right? Like, and you ever met either of those sides of people? And like we, we then have this tension about how much doctrine we should know. And what I want to say is know as much doctrine as you can. Study it and have the scriptures continue to wash over you and to keep learning. You think you read the book of Ephesians one time and you figured it out? I don't know how this happened, but I was listening to something on the way here. <clears throat> it was someone preaching on the book of Revelation. And he said this statement. He said, 20 years ago, I adopted this view of the book of Revelation. I went, you haven't even studied what view you are in the last 20 years? Like, you haven't even, like, been willing to adopt maybe that there's a different way of looking at the book? I mean, it just shocked me. It was like me, like, saying, yeah, 20 years ago, I believe that, and I'm just sticking. I'm like, come on. Like, we want to keep learning, keep having people challenge us. We want to dig into Scripture, and if you know me, I'm this guy, right? I'm the, I got introduced this morning in the, uh, the connect time as the nerd, okay? Like, that's what they introduced me as, okay? So, if you know me, doctrine is absolutely essential. It is part and parcel for the Christian life. It's an integral part of being a follower of Jesus is knowing God, knowing who Jesus is, knowing what God is doing in the world, knowing who we have been made through the cross of Jesus Christ and what we are called to do without a rational, cognitive understanding of what Christianity is about. There will be no discipleship. I mean, it's like a medical doctor. Without knowledge, there's no ability to be a doctor. If you can't diagnose what's wrong with me, you're not a good doctor. But you know what? There's more than just diagnosing what's wrong with me. You ever had a doctor tell you exactly what's wrong with you and been a complete jerk? Like, that doesn't mean just because you know something that you're a good disciple. It doesn't mean because you know a lot that you're just a good doctor. But what we see in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus taking considerable time doing what? Teaching. This is the kingdom. This is what it looks like. Number two, the second aspect is what we'd call the relational or the hearts. Discipleship is communal. Discipleship means that you spend time with other Christians. I wholeheartedly believe that when you get alone 
and you're just with God, the Spirit of God can fill you, the Spirit of God can meet you, the Spirit of God can encourage you. I do not deny that at all. But what I want to say is that throughout Scripture, do you know what the primary way that God actually shows up and demonstrates His love to you, and that the way that you feel and tangibly know God loves you? It's with His people. 1 John tells us that. It says, we have fellowship with the Father, and we want you to have fellowship with us, because when you have fellowship with us, you're actually having fellowship with who? The Father. So the way you fellow, not the only way, but the primary way that you fellowship with God is with His people. And this is what Jesus did. He didn't just leave them on the hillside and said, guys, I'll see you next Sunday when I'll give another three-chapter sermon. What did he do between the Sermon on the Mount and the next sermon? He said, come follow me. Let's go through some towns. Hey, look, there's this guy who's blind. I'm going to heal him. There's this person who's demonized. I'm going to cast the demon out. The disciples are following Jesus around. They went fishing. Jesus went fishing with them. He ate with them. He healed people with them. One of the things... Any of you seen that new uh, show that Jesus, what's it, The Chosen? Okay, and again, it's a, not a picture-perfect demonstration of who Jesus is. But one of the things I do like about Jesus as they portray him in that is he's like a real person. We think of him as this robot. Like, Jesus, do you ever think Jesus laughed? Like, seriously, do you think he really laughed? Okay. But in your head, do you ever see him? Is the picture of Jesus in your head ever him laughing? No, the picture of him is what? Long hair with a lamb on his shoulder. <laughs> right? Like that's the picture of Jesus we get. Not one who actually ate with people. Probably made fun of Peter. I mean, we all do. <clears throat> I mean, like, the, I'm just trying to say, like, there's this tangible, real relationship that, that Jesus had and this is what Jesus did. And yet, some of us are too impatient with people. We want them to grow and change and be better. We want them to grow at a pace that we're comfortable with. But look at Jesus. He spent three years, almost every day, with 12 men. And at the end of three years, spending all day with these 12 men, what do these 12 men do? They're cutting off people's ears. They're running away from him. They're fleeing. They're deserting him. And Jesus doesn't look at those people and be like, I'm done with you. And yet, what do we do with people who aren't growing at our pace? This is why discipleship is communal. It's because those people are actually growing you. You think you're growing them? They're growing you. This is why discipleship is never all solely like a pastor down to a new believer. The new believer is discipling the pastor as they are doing life together. And why is this relational, this heart aspect, this everyday life? Because it's in the everyday life that everyday areas are actually revealed. I, I, I keep picking on Peter, but I use this illustration all the time. Did Peter cut off anyone's ears at the Sermon on the Mount? Are any of you cutting off people's ears today? When are you cutting off people's ears? When you go home and your kids are driving you insane and your spouse is driving you up the wall 
That's when you cut out people's ears. And that's when you need God's people to speak the gospel into you. Jesus taught them in Matthews 5, 6, and 7. He related to them and lived with them in 8 and 9. And now we see in chapter 10, the third aspect is what is missional. Discipleship is practical. And what I mean is practical mission is putting into practice what you are learning. Before Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus says, I am sending you to go out to all the nations, the Great Commission, if you're familiar with that passage. Before he sends them out, what does he do? He's like, guys, let's just start small. We're going to see this smaller mission in Luke, Luke chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 10 as well of Jesus sending out his disciples on this smaller mission. It's here that the disciples take time to actually think about what he taught and what he did and go into the towns and villages that he sent them to teach the people about the kingdom of God and the goodness of the kingdom of God and then to cast out demons because he gave them power to do that. Going on mission deepens the relationship between disciples while helping them growing into mature disciples. We live in a military town, and every military person I interact with that has gone on a, I'm just going to call it a dangerous mission somewhere overseas, and they're with a group of people for a length of time, It does not matter how many years have passed. Those people, they are still deeply, deeply connected to. Anyone disagree with me on that? Like, I keep seeing that story played out over and over again. That even 20 years later, they're like, yeah, that's my man. Do you know why? Why is that? Because when you are in the heat of battle... You develop relationships so much faster, so much deeper than you do when everything is just easy. I have a terrible example that has nothing to do with those cool things. Mine is just be a part of a soccer team. Be a part of a team where you're just fighting for the same goal every day and you're literally fighting each other on the field every day and you have to be on a stinky bus with everyone every day. You stay in hotel rooms with them every day. It is in that, that moment, that, that deep, deep time together, being on mission, that real relationships are formed. Real things get done. I mean, I don't know about you, but this goes back to my soccer days too. I hated sitting in a room, look, telling the coach, getting on a board, telling me where to run. Does that make sense? It was just boring. I'm like, I know that. I've, yeah, I can do that. I, yeah. You know what else I hated? Every day, going to practice and doing the same thing. But you know what I lived for? Mission. The game. Like, don't you play for the game? And I'm like, Jesus is here now sending his disciples out into battle, into the game, into mission. Such that mission is discipleship, and no mission means no true, full discipleship, because mission is discipleship. And in this next section that we jump into is all about the mission that Jesus is sending his disciples on. And today, as we introduce this, what I want to do is just look at what motivates and energizes the mission. What motivates and what energizes the mission? Matthew chapter 9. You like my introduction? It was only three minutes. Let's read Matthew 9, 35 to 38 together. 
Well, I'll read it. You read it quietly. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. The only thing I want to highlight in this, because I'm not going to deal with it later, this is the exact same verse as Matthew 4, 23, except for one little difference. It now says all the towns. There's a broadening, there's a, there's a, there's a widening to the ministry of Jesus that is now taking place from chapter 4 now to chapter 9. In verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Father, help us as we learn this morning about what motivated and energized this mission. I pray that we would become people who in a sense, demonstrate and replicate and embody that same motivation and that same energy. And help us be followers of you as we continue to grow in who you're making us to be. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want to see this morning, three points. Number one is Jesus sees. It says, when Jesus saw the people... Too many of us don't see. When you go to work and there's 100 people around you in cubicles, or you go to work and there's two people around you, or you go to your kid's soccer game, or you go wherever you go, when you see people, what do you see? You see something. It may be subconscious, but you see something. You're looking at that group of people and you have this understanding of what those people are. You may come into work and, oh, I just hate all these people. And the context that you see is a bunch of people who are annoying, who are making your life hard and miserable. You're looking as you go out into the soccer field and soccer parents, me, I'm looking at other parents being like, how can their kid be that good? You know, like, that's what, I, that's what I'm viewing. That's what I'm seeing. But when we go into a crowd of people, we are seeing. But what are we seeing? I don't think we have an awareness, a, well, a good enough awareness, of seeing needs and conditions of the people around us. We get so caught up in our own lives, our own needs, our own stories, that so often we fail to account for the lives of others. We don't see people. When we do see, we often criticize others for making their own messes. In other words, we reason in our minds that they are the way they are because of their own choices. Your life is all screwed up. It's because you screwed it up. It's your fault. You're deserving what you got. Have you ever said or thought that before? What do you deserve? Do you deserve the fruits of your life? 
Has it been all by your own hard work that you have received what you have been given? And this little statement, you know what we deserve? Hell. That's what we deserve. And when we go around talking about other people, saying this is where you become because of what you've done with your choices, you're actually saying that you are not worthy of hell, that you're better than that. And so it becomes very hypocritical as Christians, and, and me too in my life, when we look at people and we're like, well, that's what you get. Or we don't just criticize them for their own mess because of their own stupid choices. But we then maybe will enter into their life just a little bit. And we'll begin to give our time, we'll begin to give our money, we'll begin to give our resources. But why do we stop giving our time, money, and resources to these people oftentimes? Because they squander it, right? They're wasting my time, they're wasting my money, they're wasting my life. Now let's be very clear. Is it ever right to stop giving money to someone? Yes, but because you love them and it's the best thing for them, not because it's making your life miserable. Do you see that difference? When you stop helping others because it's the best thing for them, not because it's you being inconvenienced and your money bank, go, your, sorry, your money bank, your, your bank account going down. And when Jesus looks around, what does Jesus see? What does the Bible tell you? When he looked around, he had what? Compassion. He had compassion for the crowds around him. And I want you to know these crowds were all types of people. It wasn't just the marginalized. It wasn't just the, the tax collectors. It wasn't just, it wasn't, it was in a sense, eclectic. It, was, it, was, it took into account all the groups of people, the crowds that followed Jesus. And when he looked at all the different groups of people, all the different men and women, children, he looked at them and he had compassion. Why? Because these people are being harassed and helpless. Compassion involves so identifying with Jesus. I'm sorry, compassion so identifies with the situation of others that you are prepared to act on their benefits. See, when Jesus saw with compassion, he moved into Jesus is now loving these people. He saw them for what they were, people who were helpless, had no shepherd, had no meaning to life. They were actually, in a sense, by the ruling class of the Jewish people, were actually being abused. And what moves Jesus to mission is compassion. Quite literally, they were being mangled and cast down. They were being harassed. They were, we could use the Scots message version, they were barely making it. They could barely do anything. The idea is that these people were lost. They were aimless. They were being abused by the rulers and the dictators of their cities and of their nations. They're being oppressed by the lies of the secular life and by a spiritual leadership that asks of them more than it gives to them. 
In short, these people are being held captive to the powers of the evil one of sin and death over them. And Jesus looks at these people and he's like, these people just are being abused by the powers of darkness and the rulers that those powers of darkness have been set up and all the sin and all the injustice that is coming upon these people are actually destroying them and they have no hope. Do we look at people like that? That when we walk into a room of unbelieving people, we're like, here is a group of people who are being harassed by the evil one who are buying into a wrong story, who have no significant meaning because they have no shepherd. Jesus is equating these ideas of being harassed and helpless with not having someone to actually lead them to where life and pastures are found. And this idea of of a shepherd and a sheep in Israel is very common in the Old Testament. And one of those places in Ezekiel chapter 34, which on the screen says this, so they were scattered, this is the nation of Israel, because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild beasts. Again, being held prey for all the powers of sin, Satan, and death, and the powers of this evil world's. And they were scattered. My sheep were scattered. They were wandering over the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or to seek for them. Jesus is looking at these people and just seeing sheep everywhere doing whatever they want. Not finding life. Not finding wholeness. And so in Ezekiel 34, 15, it says, God will come and be their shepherd. Because there will be no shepherd who can actually lead them. David couldn't do it. Solomon couldn't do it. Hezekiah couldn't do it. And so God says, I will be their shepherd. And the way that God steps into the story, we've seen this a long, long time ago in Matthew chapter 2, quoting Micah, says this, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. All the people of Israel have been scattered to the mountains, to the deserts, been wandering, have no help, no health, no food, no life. And Jesus says, these are people who need a shepherd. This is the condition of good leadership, a good shepherd. Someone who is not abusing the sheep. Someone who is leading the sheep to life and to wholeness. And this is what Jesus came to do, is to shepherd the sheep. To bring us to the Father so the presence of God could be manifest in our lives and we could enjoy the love and the life and the light of God. Thus, when you and I think of mission, we need to start having eyes that see people who are wandering and lost and in need of a shepherd. It's the overwhelming need that Jesus is moving towards them because he sees how helpless they are. That God would give us eyes to see people filled with compassion. Do you know why those people are mean to you? Because they don't have a true shepherd. You know those people are cheating you? Because they don't have a true shepherd. Don't expect them to be perfect and treat you equally. Why would they? Like expect, well, this is getting ahead of the story, but expect opposition. 
And what I love about this passage is when Jesus is looking around, he sees all these needs. What would you, what would you and I do next? I think we would rush, like right now, we're, maybe you're not, but me, I'm like ready to charge. Let's go. Let's go look at people differently and love them and serve them. Let's go, right? I mean, how many of you are like good Americans? Just pull your bootstraps up and get it done. Let's go. And yet Jesus doesn't say go. What's the first thing Jesus asks us to do? He says this, pray, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You know what pastors do? You know what I do? We try to train up as many workers as we can. And all the while, we forget the number one piece. Pray. Pray. In his present imagery... God has become like the owner, the manager of this farmlands who employs farm workers to harvest the crop. And there's like an urgent need for sufficient workers to be able to harvest the crop before it spoils. It's like they've had this bumper crop and it's going like crazy. And if they don't get it all, they're going to lose a bunch of it. And there's far too much work to do with too few workers. And Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom is. It's ripe unto harvest. There's going to be a bumper crop, and there's going to be fruit, and there's going to be grain, and there's going to be everything everywhere. But you know what? We have no one, I shouldn't say that, we don't have enough people to go out and to do it. So when there's a lot of work to be done, what is our response? I'm going to say this, my pastoral inclination is, first of all, let's build a team and get training people who we can train, who can train others, who can train others. And is that a good thing? Yes. Train up faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I'm following a biblical command. It makes me feel good. But I forget rule number one. When Jesus feels this, when Jesus sees this, he says, pray. The mission is God's work, and our primary task is prayer. The mission is not our work, it's God's work. We are partnering with Him. He's invited us to participate with Him. It is not us. We are not the main character in the mission. Jesus is, and He's inviting us with Him. And He says the first task that we should be and have as people before we go out and do something is pray. One theologian says this, it's in Matthew's interest that the church learn that mission is a divine matter. Mission is God's. It's not the church's. We don't determine what mission is. God has already determined the mission, and we participate in what he's doing. And the closest way we can get to the proper allocation of resources and to the recruitment of personnel is prayer. What he's saying is the best way to get resources and people is what? Pray. Just pray. How many of you don't know how to go on mission? How many of you don't? How many of you can pray? We, we teach our kids. It's just talking to God, right? With, oh goodness, love, perseverance, and gratefulness, right? Like that's what we do. We pray. Too often, 
ministries become human-centered, market-driven, with Jesus put on the label, but for all practical purposes, he's left out of the church, out of the mission. And many of these ministries are very successful, but it makes you wonder if you're like, if we are becoming like Revelation 3.1. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. One theologian says it this way, the church moves forward on its knees. The church moves forward on its knees. And so we believe that as we pray, we become like Paul. Some of you plant, some of you water, but God is doing all of it. And he's going to do all of it when his people will commit themselves to prayer. So maybe your MC struggles with mission. Any of your MC struggle with mission? We're all good at family and pretty good at servant and like it just goes right down the cliff once we get... Maybe, this is for my own MC too, it's not like we don't have it figured all out. Maybe we just pray. Rather than trying to employ strategies, pray. So we view people the way Jesus viewed people. And you will begin to view people the way Jesus viewed them when you see that's how he views you. He views you with compassion. He wants to be with you. He wants to know you. The person who knows you the most loves you the best. And that is a paradox you can't figure out. The person who knows you the most loves you the best. You feel like you got to hide yourself from people so they will love you, but it's the exact opposite. God and Jesus and the Spirit know everything about you. You can't hide anything from Him, and yet He still loves you the most. Isn't that crazy? And when that begins to wash over us, it allows us to start looking out around people filled with compassion of people who are being harassed have no shepherd. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.